high Shropshire. Um, you may well ask, I think I'm probably one of the first people to um, combine Shropshire and immigration. Um, the reasoning is quite simple. Um, I've worked in Tower Hamlets for over 20 years, and as Ben said, um, my focus has been migration into London, and more particularly into Tower Hamlets and Spitalfields. Um, I've had a home in Shropshire for the past 35 years, and just over 18 months ago, we made it our permanent home. And whereas in Tower Hamlets, and I, I don't know, I, I assume most of you are familiar with Tower Hamlets, um, you know, you get out of the train at Mile End and you're in a multicultural or almost sometimes monocultural, albeit not necessarily British environment. Um, in Shropshire, the Shropshire I've known for the past um, 20 odd years, it was very much the heartland of Middle England, if you like, your archetypal um, Middle England town. Um, but what I've noticed increasingly is that there have been, when I queue up in my Sainsbury's and I go into any of the restaurants in town, or if any of you know the surrounding areas, Welshpool and the little villages that lead to where I live out in the sticks, I'm increasingly hearing foreign voices, predominantly Eastern European, and I'm not very good at identifying the difference, but also in town, um, people who are non-European, and quite a lot of people who are obviously in mixed race relationships. And I thought it would be an ideal opportunity um, to try and get in on the ground floor of immigrant arrival and settlement, as opposed to Tower Hamlets, where we might be looking at new immigrants, but there is this sort of patina that you can scrape back that goes back easily to the 17th century um, of immigrant settlement in particular locations and a degree of preparedness for them and the way in which even the buildings sort of are flexible, in which they can be adapted. Um, so initially I approached Tower Hamlets and said, you know, look, this is something I'd like to do. Um, would you want to support this? And, you know, maybe there are lessons that you can give and lessons to be learned. Tower Hamlet said yes and actually came up with a small amount of funding, which is given a research assistant. And Shropshire said, yes, that's great. Carry on. No dosh. Okay. Um, so that's the rationale. The objective, as I said, is to explore different issues of the migrant experience. And this is really very early work, so bear with me. I mean, there's a lot more to do. And as those of you that have done empirical research, you try and get into Muller Rice or, or Unigate or somebody to talk to their personnel offices or even schools. And I've been lucky to get into most places. And you'll see that I have actually, I, I concentrated on education to a large extent, but got into one company. So this is more Shropshire biased than Tower Hamlets. But I've got I hope, a degree of comparative. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with Tower Hamlets, and I think Claire might be you know, talking about it more, um, but the comparatives are there to be made. Well, Inner London, I'm sure you recognize that. I don't have to explain. Um, I don't think that's actually Whitechapel Road, but I see the red bus, so it possibly could be because you've got the, it could also be sort of somewhere up Brick Lane, but whatever it is, I'm sure you all are happy with that one. Okay, London Borough of Tower Hamlets covers just over 7.5 square miles, has a population of 220,500. Oh, just a small point, of course, all our statistics are nearly a decade away from the last decennial census. 
So a lot of the statistics are drawn from wherever, but they're not going to be as up-to-date as one might. Population density is high. Less than half the population is ethnic British. And again, those of you who are familiar know that the largest ethnic minority of the Bangladeshis in Tower Hamlets has actually the largest concentration of Bangladeshis outside Bangladesh. Um, and what's more um, relevant, maybe, to the whole discussion is that in October, actually, I think it was October the 22nd, Luftar Rahman was elected the independent mayor of Tower Hamlets. And last night I saw in the paper um, that there are investigations and, and, and um, criticisms being made of the way he was elected, of some of them believing that he is a radical Muslim. Um, but he was apparently fairly elected. So Tower Hamlets held its first election for a mayor and the first person elected was a Bengali. Now, just to give you a sense, I'm not great at pie charts, but I've done my best, of the composition of migrants in Tower Hamlets. And you'll see, and I think I have, yeah, I might be able to do this. No, I have, no, I have to go back. Sorry, it's not doing what I wanted. Can I go back with this? Yeah. Um, the largest group are Bangladeshi. The next are Indian. Um, and in smaller percentages, Eastern Europeans and Chinese people. So you can see it's overwhelmingly Bangladeshi. Um, in terms of general European migrants, just under 5,000 Polish migrants. Lithuanian come next, and then we've got quite a high percentage of Italian and I leave it for you to see how it's composed. One thing about Tower Hamlets, the point I should make if you're not used to it, is of course Tower Hamlets contain some of the richest and some of the poorest people in the country. Because part of Tower Hamlets is Canary Wharf. So if you look at non-European migrants, um, and particularly in the Americas, you get a very large potential percentage of Americans and Canadians and other people working in Canary Wharf, which skews things and also skews average income. As I say, it's the very poorest and the very richest. And immigrant occupations, I could only get the stats on Europeans. And interestingly enough, what it threw up was that the majority, most are in construction, not a very high percentage, and then you can see the way it goes down. What I haven't got are the stats on the non-Europeans. But by and large, the Bangladeshi community are involved in the garment industry, particularly leather work, in catering, in taxi driving. I don't know if anybody else has done recent work. Have you? on Bengalis, um, and there is quite a considerable level of unemployment amongst the older generation. And there is a huge generation gap um, between the first immigrants that came in the late 60s, um, came for work, came from a very secular background, um, who have been, if not radicalized, in some instances, terrified into becoming more religious. Um, and this is actually information from my own students um, who told me before 9-11 that their fathers were being actually terrified into going to the mosque. They weren't religious, but they were having to go to the mosque because external forces were driving them there. Okay, 
Now let's look at Shropshire. Um, the rural is actually um, my track in the middle of winter. That's how isolated I am. Any of you familiar with Shrewsbury Town? Okay, um, the old market hall um, is in the middle and the main wild cop, that's our, our main, one of our main streets there. A complete contrast, if you like, to Tower Hamlets. Shropshire covers, as you can see, um, almost one and a quarter thousand square miles. It has a population not much more than Tower Hamlets. And density is, you know, it's one of the most sparsely populated counties in the country, with 98.8% of the population classified as white. Now, you might say, well, what's the relevance of looking at migration here? But in some ways, think about the impact of outsiders coming in, of what's that going to do to people who are used to, if you like, an all-white, all-Christian environment. And it does have repercussions. Okay. Um, looking at global immigrants, surprise, surprise, the majority are from Poland. Um, there is, as I will come to, a small Bangladeshi community. Um, and when we come to Telford and Rekin, which I'll explain to you, there is um, a Ghanaian population, but by and large it's Eastern Euro European. And again, statistically, it's very difficult to quantify. The stats that I'll give you, these are based on statistics that I've taken from the national insurance numbers and the workers' registration scheme. Um, so it's not in any way conclusive, but it certainly gives you a sense. Are you familiar with both NINOs and WRS so you know how they're derived at and what the implications are? So they're certainly not going to be conclusive, but as I say, they certainly give you a flavour. I'm not doing any, I will be doing in-depth research in Telford and Rekin, and I haven't done it yet. Now, Telford and Rekin is a separate unit but it is located within Shropshire. It became separate in 1974, and Telford is basically a new town. They have a larger immigrant population, something in the region of two or 3,000, um, and that is made up of Eastern Europeans. And much to my surprise, when I actually did this chart, people from Ghana. And what I'm trying to find out, and I have to be truthful, I haven't, there's about 850 Ghanaians living in Telford and Rekin, which is quite a small area. This seems to me very much chain migration related. Um, there is a, a, a Ghanaian lady there who I've been given the name of who I'm going to speak to, but it's very much chain related. This isn't just by chance. This is, um, and then people from India, um, minute proportion from Bangladesh. But again, Eastern Europeans are actually overwhelmingly the majority. Um, what are the occupations? Um, a few people I've spoken to when I've been doing this and told them what I'm doing is, oh, well, of course, they're all working in farming. You know, they're not. Um, the majority are working in factory processing. And what there is in Shropshire um, is a lot of sheep and some beef. And these are one of the largest beef packaging companies, ABP, is based in North Shropshire. Um, and I've divided this up because actually um, the stats came in, in two lots, and I thought it was quite interesting to separate them. Um, quite a lot in 
sector-based scheme, which is a voluntary scheme, and what I found is also care assistance. Now, the numbers are small, but it represents why people are coming and what they're doing. South Shropshire, again, factory processing, um, and I'll explain what else there is. What is very small is farm work, where you would expect to see the majority it isn't. I don't know whether you want to digest those, metaphorically speaking. If you want me to go back, I will. A lot of care assistance in relative terms. Um, and what it didn't show up on the stats was that quite a lot of the care assistance have come from the Philippines, which shouldn't be any news to anyone. And that has also worked on a chain-related basis. Um, and what I've also discovered, but haven't interviewed them yet, is that the women in this case are the pioneer migrants. And they've arrived first, and sometimes their husbands have joined them, sometimes their husbands have not. Sometimes they've brought their children with them into local schools where language is obviously going to be part of an issue. And that's Telford and Rekin. Um, again, administrate, Telford is much more of a commercial centre, much more business, and you've got a large percentage of admin and managerial. Manufacturing, farm work again, very small percentage. But then, this might be skewed by the fact that people haven't applied for national insurance numbers or they haven't been put forward on the workers' registration scheme, so it's not a totally true picture. But it gives you a sense that what is a very rural county is not drawing immigrants to it to work in the fields, not the ones that are actually identified here. Okay, what I've done is a series of interviews, um, and I'm going to just go through them slowly to show you what has been thrown up. The first one, um, I interviewed the deputy headmistress and a group of nine, separately, nine Eastern European immigrant children at the Marches School. The Marches School is in Oswestry. Any of you know Oswestry? Of Oswestry? No? where it is, right, it's North Shropshire, very close to the Welsh border. It's probably got one of the best orthopaedic hospitals in the country there. Um, it has a population of 15,000. It's predominantly light industry, farming, meat packaging, and abattoir, um, and a very high level of local unemployment. This is according to the headmistress. The school has 1,200 pupils aged between 11 and 16. And what's interesting is that they have had for some time non-European immigrant children. There is a small population of Bangladeshis there. There are also a few Indian children whose father or mother are actually specialists at the local hospital. Um, and the head boy is, of, is from East Africa whose father is a consultant at the hospital. So they have got, they have experienced people from outside Oswestry. Um, but what they have had more recently is an influx of Eastern Europeans after accession. After 2004, people have been coming in from Eastern Europe. Now, until recently, that influx, as the stats show, came from Poland. And what happened when I held my focus group is that there was a preponderance of, well, three out of nine were Bulgarian. And what the headmistress has noticed 
is that there's a slowdown in Polish immigrants coming in and an increase in Bulgarians and Romanians, which ties in in some ways with the severe economic conditions in Bulgaria and Romania. And I don't know if you know my colleague John Salt at UCL. John and I discussed that and he said, well, this hasn't been flagged up in his research, but it is very likely to be happening. It doesn't mean that all the poles are going back, because I haven't noticed it in Shropshire either, but it means that there's a slowdown in them coming in. Now, when you talk to people in Tower Hamlets, what were the issues? You've suddenly got, I mean, over the centuries, um, incomers who don't speak the language. Um, if you go back to the late 19th century, Christchurch School in Brick Lane was 95% Jewish children and the teachers had to learn Yiddish to communicate. Um, more recently, it's almost the same number of Bangladeshi children, um, and therefore you can actually use people from the Bangladeshi community. They will be Sileti speaking, so those kids have got to go from Sileti to Bengali to English. Now we have a policy today which tolerates this. In the late 19th century, there was no tolerance of Yiddish. You weren't allowed to speak it um, in any of the schools, um, so it was to be eradicated, but quite truthfully, you've got to communicate somehow before you actually start introducing the children to another language. So the main problem when I asked the deputy headmistress, you know, you've never had these immigrant children. What was the worst thing? And she said, language. We just couldn't communicate. The parents would come in with a translator and say they wanted their children to start. Next week, the children would be dropped at the door. I don't know if any of you have got kids. Um, in my day, it didn't happen, but now, you know, the children are introduced, mummy spends a half day or daddy at school with them, and they're gradually introduced. Eastern European way is totally different. You're left at the school, get on with it. And what would happen was the kids would go in, and what would transpire is that they had no English. Now, it's an interesting fact and something that might be communicated from Tower Hamlet's council. The headmistress or deputy headmistress in the Marches school said to me, I had no help. Shy Hall, that's the council office, was completely unprepared for the influx of Eastern Europeans. They could offer me no help at all. So I had to actually do it myself. I had to find someone who spoke Polish, she knew a graduate locally, and I had to bring them in so that we could start actually communicating with the children. Now another headmaster I spoke to said, no, there is support, but you've got to know where to find it. And I think that's an issue that is common in many circumstances. In the 1970s, when new Bangladeshis were looking for council housing, Nobody wanted to tell them how to find it. So you've got to know your way around. You've got to know how to get the support. And at the moment, people in Shropshire don't actually know how to get that support. And language is the main issue. So she actually got a local Polish graduate in to help start communicating with the children. Another policy was not to put all the children together. It's different ages and they were kept apart. So that actually when I interviewed them last week, in a room of nine children of ages from 12 to 16, quite a few of them each didn't know the other, even though they came from the same country. They didn't want to actually get them to cluster, but they did. 
when there were about or even five or six Polish children, they would cluster in the playground. And that created an antipathy because it was visible. The other kids could see different straight away. Another problem with language was the difficulty to assess ability. If the children don't speak the language, you can't assess what level they're at and what their ability is. And a lot of the children were actually put in a class below that of their age and ability. So they were being held back. And when I gave them a questionnaire last week, it was quite interesting that 50% of them said they'd found the lessons easy. And it was only on actually analyzing this, I realized well, that was possibly because they were put in a year below their natural year and therefore had done to some extent the work. Others found it hard. But assessing abilities is obviously um, a problem that also goes with language. Difference, I suppose, to Tower Hamlets, let's say in the 1970s when the Bengalis were coming in, because we didn't have a system where um, you can go on the computer, you type something in and it automatically translates it. So it was much harder in those days. Today, as another headmaster told me, when they wanted to communicate um, with certain children um, from Lithuania or wherever, and they didn't have the language, type it all in, get up a special program, it translates it. Not sure if the kids are using it or not, but that in a way is a difference. That's what technology can do. They're never gonna have the huge percentage that we have um, in Tower Hamlets. But one of the problems that emerged even so because of the smaller and clustering numbers is bullying. Um, the, tea, the deputy headmistress was conscious that one particular boy, a Russian boy, the only Russian boy in the school, had been bullied um, and subject to racist remarks. Now, what's interesting is that when I went into this classroom of nine kids from Slovakia, Bulgaria, and Poland, and one Russian, and I said, I'm Dr. Kirshen, I'm from Queen Mary, I've come to talk to you about your experience in, in England. I didn't say any more, and the Russian boy turned around and said, I've been bullied and I've been treated as a, you know, by racists. And I said, I hadn't said anything, hadn't asked at all. And the whole conversation, nearly all of it, was devoted to how they'd been subjected to bullying and racism. Now, I'm not quite sure whether their definition of racism is our definition of racism, but it was definitely theirs. Go back to your own country, they were repeatedly told. Um, now, this seemed to me not to be coming from them, but probably coming from parents outside the school who perceive immigrants as a possible threat to jobs. And the Russian boy told me, um, and I had to get this translated, well, they're all chavs. All the people that are racist are chavs. Are you funny? I had to ask my grandson what a chav was. <laughs> um, but, you know, immediately this was the reaction. Um, it wasn't everybody, it was those chavs, which I thought was, was quite actually quite amusing. Um, and I said to them, well, how have you countered this? How have you dealt with this? Um, and the Russian boy said, I told my parents because one of the girls accused him of rape um, and it wasn't true. So he, his parents came to the school. But everybody else said, you know, I've dealt with it. And there was one poor guy there, Eric, who'd only been at the school for about three weeks, 
couldn't speak English that well, said, I'm going to deal with it myself. But when we took it further, myself was helped by his friends, quite a lot of whom were English. So if we're looking at, and I'll come back to this community cohesion in a microcosm, in this school where you have just these few percentage-wise immigrant children, there are both examples of bullying and racism and support. But what stood out in these children's minds was their bullying and racism. Now, I know that kids are always bullied. If you're fat, if you wear glasses, whatever, you're subject to some kind of racism. Not racism, sorry, bullying. But to these kids, this was also racist, which I found quite interesting. That's the way they interpreted it. Another one said, you know, all oh, the teachers are racist. I said, why are they racist? Oh, they pick on us. Um, now, I did, this is the Russian boy again, actually. I did very well in a test, and the teacher said, you've done very well, now you go home and bring me a bottle of vodka. And I said, well, you know, I don't think that's really racist. You know, I might say that to one of my students, you know, your dissertation got 85%. All right, bring me a bottle of wine tomorrow morning. But in their eyes, from their stance, this was all racist. They're very conscious of their, very, their difference. They're very conscious of being outsiders and very touchy. Um, I'll go on to the next thing. Um, forgive me, this is all very new stuff and I find it very interesting because it's not like Tower Hamlets. There aren't 95% of these kids. They're finding it for themselves. There's nobody there, no after-school classes, anything. Um, one Slovakian girl, and I said, um, how are you finding She said, I get very upset. They call me Polish. I don't like being called Polish. I'm not Polish. Um, and then we were discussing, you know, people who were different. And she said to me, I know I shouldn't say it, but I hate blacks. And this is one of the problems in Tower Hamlets and possibly going to happen maybe to a lesser extent in Shropshire is the antipathy between Bangladeshis in Tower Hamlets and Eastern Europeans. And we know that exists. Eastern Europeans are not used to non-Europeans, they're not used to black people, and they are exhibiting racism we know in Tower Hamlets. Now this girl just articulated exactly that feeling, exactly that sentiment. I don't like blacks. In Tower Hamlets, the Bangladeshis are concerned because the Poles are taking their jobs. They're not, but they're and they're taking their homes. And anybody that's done any research on immigration historically knows they're taking our jobs and homes, what everybody says, and now the Bengalis are saying it too. So those are some of the issues. Another issue at the school is absence. Now this is another factor that's, that's actually been very severe in Tower Hamlets, where families go back to Select or Bangladesh for six months or a year, and the kids are taken out of school. And what the deputy headmistress told me, and, and the headmaster actually from the primary school, is that this happens too. The Eastern European kids are taken back home for a month or six weeks to Poland or Bulgaria or Slovakia, and they miss school. And it's very difficult to communicate to the parents that you just don't do this. Okay. Those are some of the issues that the headmistress has had to put up with. For the kids, 
the main thing that came over was bullying and racism. Some said the lessons were easy. Some said the lessons were hard. This was not an issue. They spent three quarters of an hour telling myself and my research assistant, who's actually Polish, about their bad experiences. Having said all that, bar one, they all want to stay in England. They all want to go to university. But nearly all of them wanted to go to Wrexham University, which I'm afraid I'd, I'd never heard of. Have you heard of it? I mean, I was trying to do a plug for London. You know, London? I'm not going to London? London's so dangerous. Okay, I'll come back to it. But community cohesion, what's it telling us? I think it's telling us that at the Marches school, all the children interviewed had English friends inside the school and all but one outside the school. All but one wanted to go on to university. So if you like, the policy of integrating the children, not sort of creating a club for all the Eastern Europeans, but actually getting them to work together. And in the primary school, the headmaster has their Filipino children there working with the English children, has created a sense of, of if you like, cohesion, which we're not really going to find in Tower Hamlets. And I hate to say my feeling is in Tower Hamlets, there's much more separation than there was a few years ago. The bright kids are doing well, they're bright. The Eastern European, Eastern European kids are bright. And also, there's not such a huge cultural difference between Eastern Europeans and, if you like, Bangladeshis. The children may not come from exactly the same background, but there is a certain ethos there which can be identified and which doesn't exist in Tower Hamlets. But what we're seeing in Tower Hamlets is the parents' desire for their children to succeed, for incredibly um, impressive results, particularly amongst the girls, and more and more of the local kids going to university. But on the other hand, more and more, if you like, religious separation, um, and that's something that concerns me. And as the headmistress in the marches said to me, we've had one student here who's worn, worn the hijab from day one. Not a problem. I said, what would you do if one of the children wanted to wear a niqab? She said, we would not allow it. You don't have that option in Tower Hamlets. OK. Second case study. Fascinating, this one. Um, none of you know Shropshire. Craven Arms is a very small town with a population of 2,289 on the road between Shrewsbury and Lempster. Um, I didn't know about this till someone heard I was doing this research and said, well, of course, you know about the halal abattoir in Craven Arms. I said, no, no way. And a small Pakistani community which has grown up around it. So I actually went to interview um, the young guy whose father owns it. He's about 30. Um, it's a leading halal processor. If you, if you do a, a web search, it will come up as one of the country's leading halal um, processors and the family took over the business in 1992. Um, having come from Ireland, this abattoir was originally just an ordinary abattoir for, as he put it, pigs, beef and lamb. But when the family took it over, they got rid of the pigs and beef and now it's only lamb. Um, and initially, Rizvan Khalid said to me, we had some issues but we got over these. Um, so what's coming out from Rizban, which I'll go on with, is this feeling of not putting your head above the parapet, 
not creating issues, not creating problems. Um, Rizvan, if you like, is one of the outgoing members. Um, he was educated in Ireland. He went to the LSE. He then were, is at KPMG. He's a chartered accountant. So anything more English joke Irish, um, you're not likely to find. Okay. And he said, the people here are very nice and hospitable. There are about 30 to 40 Pakistanis in the town, nearly all working in the abattoir and nearly all related to the family. So they have brought them over. They're actually, he said, enabling them to become managers. Um, they also employ one-third Eastern European staff and one-third local staff, as well as one-third Pakistani. And again, you know, that is, that's what you call some form of community cohesion. They all work together. Um, the Pakistanis all live in a cluster. They all live in houses owned by the Khalid family. The women are invisible. There is one woman, Khalid's aunt, who is visible, who's active, um, she's articulate. Khalid has lived in Craven Arms for 18 years with his parents. I met his mother because I went to the mosque there, and she can barely speak English. None of the wives can speak English except Khalid's, um, Rizvan's wife, who came from Birmingham and finds it very difficult in this environment. It's very cloistered. Um, it's very, and, you know, no problems, and it'll show up later. Uh, but some of the boys threw beer cans at the women. But we're not making a fuss about that. Um, now, maybe in Tower Hamlets they would, but my late father-in-law grew up in the East End, and he said to me, being Jewish, um, before the war, well before the war, well, the kids threw stones at us, but we went to school because we were Jewish. But, you know, that's what happened. And Khalid said, basically, they threw cans at the women. That's what happened. Okay. Um, so they're living in a cluster. They are observant. And they applied for planning permission to put up a mosque. Now, I don't know why, but it was refused. I have no idea why. I've asked at the council. They won't tell me. It was refused. I leave you to draw your own conclusions. But they converted a house in the row where they all live into a mosque, which they call Pack House. Now, for me, if you think about it, and for any of you, Packy was the word used in 1969. Packy bashing suddenly appears in 19. So to call it Pack House, I found a bit, but okay. They call it Pack House. I'd been there. Um, I went on a religious pilgrimage. Um, and as I say, the women I met, apart from Zakir, barely spoke English. Now, the BMP had a go. Wonderful target. Pakistan is running a halal abattoir. And they spread the rumor that, in fact, they were slaughtering the animals in an insensitive way. Khalid called them in. And if you look at the BMP website, you will see an apology to them because they were using a form of electrical stunning. So Khalid there was quite proactive. Um, it'll come up in the conclusion, but the BMP put up a candidate at the last election, and he got 5%. So. But you see, they see a reason. 
there's Eastern Europeans and there's Pakistanis. And what shows so far is the local community isn't phased by it. Um, now, I spoke to the local reverend, who herself is a, an immigrant from South Africa, who said, well, it's all right. The local community thinks they're there. They're indifferent to them now, although there are other issues. Another fact, which is unusual in terms of comparing it to Tower Hamlets, is that Euro-quality lambs employs local people. They're not taking the jobs of Englishmen, they're making jobs <laughs> as an Englishman. And therefore, is this going to create an antipathy? Not necessarily if you think they might be your employer. So again, I can't think of many, if any, examples in Tower Hamlets where you have, and some of you may have, Claire may have, examples. Um, they tend to, if you'll excuse, employ their own. So that's my second case study, which is <coughs> and I have got a third case study, but it seems to have gone walkabout, so we'll find that in a sec. Okay. Only because the actual notes are here, but John Mustafa is a Bangladeshi guy who came to this country in 1983. He owns the masala. If I can't find it, I'll do it on the hoof, as they say. You have to bear with me. Okay, I'll do it on the hoof. Um, he, owned, he initially went to Birmingham and then got a job in Oswestry in a restaurant and obviously saved enough, saved enough money to open his own restaurant in Shrewsbury. 23 years ago. Um, John Mustafa is someone that is very concerned about community cohesion. He went to Shropshire because that was his choice, because he liked Shropshire people. Okay. He, as he put it, fell in love with Shropshire people and the countryside. So one of the points that I make in my conclusion as well is that everybody I've spoken to in, in Shropshire is there because they chose to be. Now, I'm not saying people didn't choose to be in Tower Hamlets, but if you're a Bangladeshi coming over, it's a natural place to go. It's where everybody goes. It's the first point of settlement. There's no way on earth that you would necessarily choose to be in Shropshire. But these people choose to be in Shropshire. John Mustafa, and the John, I think, came with arriving in the UK um, and part of the anglicisation, putting himself into the, into the community. Um, and he's now got four restaurants, so he tells me. <coughs> and in 2003, he founded the Bangladeshi Welfare Association for the 20 to 30 families, Bengali families, in and around Shrewsbury. Um, and he's also founded a North Shropshire interfaith group. And this is very difficult because, you know, who are the representatives? You, you've got a few Muslims. You've got some very active Christian clergy. Um, as a deviation, but um, I'm Jewish, and when we went to live in Shropshire full-time, shock horror was the general reaction. Um, there aren't any Jews in Shropshire. Now, if you're an observant Jew, no. 
because you know you're going to have to travel. In fact, there's something called a Welsh pool Jewish group, which is a collection of lunatics like ourselves who meet every month. Um, and several of them are active with the interfaith groups, but actually very poorly represented. Um, but the interfaith group are, if you like, going along the track of community cohesion. And whereas in London it's sort of um, the high-level activists, here we're at a low level in Shropshire. In London, it's, it's sort of the chief rabbi, Prince Charles, um, Sir Sigmund Sternberg. Have any of you heard of Sigmund Sternberg? Yeah, we've all heard of Sigmund Sternberg. Yes, Siggy. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, someone I know very well. Okay. Now, I interviewed John Mustafa, I suppose for about an hour, while he gave me a very nice curry in his restaurant. And when I was actually transcribing, it came back and back and back. So it boils down to he wanted to impress me how much he wants to put back into the community. Not the Bangladeshi community, but the Shropshire community. Um, he wants to build a community centre for all. Um, he belongs to the local West Mercia um, police guidance group. Um, he plays football, he teaches the local boys football, he teaches them cricket. Um, his one aim seems to be to interact as much as possible with the local community. Um, I didn't get to ask him who his friends were, and my sense is his English isn't that incredible after 23 years, so possibly on a social level it's not quite the same. Um, he's vice chairman of the Shropshire Partnership, which is a, I don't know if you know of these partnerships that exist, which bring together businesses and various institutions. And like all the Bengalis in Tower Hamlets, he does send money back home. He sends remittance money. Um, but this is not his priority. He sees his family's future in Shrewsbury. Unlike people in, Bang in Tower Hamlets, who still hold the myth of return. Um, and as one of my students told me when I discussed her father, who'd got properties in Silet, properties in Tower Hamlets, goes back and forth. And I said, you know, where's your father going to end up if we, talk, we were talking about transnationalism? And she said, well, that's his problem. He doesn't know where he belongs anymore. And I think that's quite interesting, because I think there are quite a lot of people, you can't talk to them all in Tower Hamlets, who feel the same. They're very much going back and forth. They very much have Londoni houses. Do you know what I mean by Londoni houses? Um, in Bangladesh, the people that have sent back remittance money, which has paid for um, stone houses instead of mud, create Londoni villages so that if you drive through Silet, you know when the people have got relatives in England, but they call it Londoni, who've been sending money back. So. In Tower Hamlet, you'll find a lot of the people there are part of this Londoni network, this transnational network. Now, what John Mustafa was saying was, that's not him. He's in Shrewsbury, he's in Shropshire because he wants to be. That's where his future is. That's where his children are being educated. That's where his future lies. And that is different. That is very different. So maybe something about being an immigrant in Shropshire is... If you're there because you want to be, that connection between home and their desh and bidesh, does that ring a bell to anybody? Desh being home, bidesh being <coughs> overseas, over there. That, that's actually 
not quite as accurate. Desh is Shropshire. Okay. Right. We told, I'm looking at community cohesion, and these are some of the definitions of community cohesion, because I'm not quite sure what it's meant to be defined as, and I don't think anybody else is. Um, there is a local government body now, I don't, LG it's called, it was Ideas, it's now local government, which has a national officer of equality and diversity in charge of going around the country telling, talking to everybody about community cohesion. Now he's one of my ex-students and I'm sort of trying to get him to tell me what he means by community cohesion. But those are, so, you know, are, if you like, is it developing in Shropshire? Is it developing in Tower Hamlets? Can it? Okay. Sorry, I'm not quite sure if it works in two columns. Um, let's take the Shropshire side. Um, Shropshire people accepted me from day one. Now, I also interviewed, actually, a young Romanian woman who's married to a black African chef. Um, actually educated this guy and brought up in Portugal, but born in, she couldn't remember which African country, but he's black African. And I said to her, you know, in Shrewsbury, how have people react? I mean, she couldn't remember which country, I'm sorry. Um, how have people reacted to the two of you? Um, and she said, absolutely fine. Nobody's ever said anything, nobody's ever commented. We've got lots of friends. There's also a Bangladeshi teacher at the local primary school where there are only two um, foreign children in their um, Filipino. And she's married to Mr. Jones. English sort of farmer type. And I said, well, how's that going down? She said, absolutely no problem. And one of the things I've noticed in Shrewsbury is the increase in mixed race families. And I tell you, 25 years ago, people would have looked. Today, nobody actually blinks an eye. Um, having said that, the one thing you don't, I haven't seen, I don't think anybody in Shrewsbury wearing the hijab. Um, but Telford and Rekin, I went to interview someone, and when I went to the loo, there's someone um, in the Nijab. So those two areas are different, but I'll come back to that. Okay, another quote. Life in Shropshire is nice and easy. Ethnic people very well accepted in society, and they're my, my young friend, and that reiterates. Um, the quotes from Tower Hamlets come from research into um, the local community's attitude to community cohesion. Um, and I thought this one was sort of quite paradoxical. There are lots of different communities in Tower Hamlets, and I feel very comfortable. I go to them, I mean, you know, is that community cohesion or just Muslims cohering together? Um, and then I most identify with the Bangladeshi community, so I, I'm not getting... Okay. Um... Craven Arms is where the abattoir is. Now, it's quite interesting that Rizvan Khalid um, had two cousins who were killed very tragically in a road accident um, some years back, about four or five years back, young boys. Um, and the whole of Craven Arms went to sympathize. Rizvan asked them all in to see the bodies, and they all went. Um, and the local youths were very disturbed because the boys had been in the cricket team. So there was immediate outpouring of support. Um, and I said to the local vicar, well, you know, that's great. How did it develop? She said, I would love to have said that it developed and they all interacted, but it's gone back to the same as it was before. 
um, indifference. Survey in Tower Hamlet showed 74% of the population were happy with their neighbourhood. But then, what is their neighbourhood? Because if you know Tower Hamlets, by and large now, they're mostly clustered within ethnic groups. Um, and when they did try to white, break the white barrier in the 19, 1970s, as you'll see, violence was the response. Having said that, um, another comment. And then somebody else said, it's good to live here because of the huge contact between different races. Um, and I've got a feeling that was said by someone who was working in a shop. This was a survey carried out in 2007. Because the nature of Tower Hamlas is very much that the Bangladeshi community is living together. It's not spread through. Um, and you are now getting, and of course, Many of the Bangladeshis want to move out and are moving out. They're following the track of the Jews in the 1930s and the 40s, and they're moving out of Tower Hamlets and arguably making room for the next immigrant group, which seem to be the Eastern Europeans. Okay, um, this is a quote from Michael. Um, when I asked him about whether or not local councillors in Tower Hamlets um, you know, what were they creating community cohesion? You know, what were they representing? And I'll, I'll come to another quote in a minute. So I'm sure you can all read this. You don't need me to read it. So basically, they were driven by, if you like, selfish, i.e. Um, specific ethnic needs and ambitions, but it actually benefited the whole community. So is that community cohesion or is that just a byproduct of the way in which they became so active? Um, Tower Hamlets had, I think, it, over half Bangladeshi councillors, which is quite considerable. And of course, um, if you remember, they elected George Galloway as the MP for respect. And that was people going round Tower Hamlets, again my students telling me, saying, you will vote for respect, you will vote for respect. People were scared into voting. I, I was telling Ben, actually, when I got on my train at Wolverhampton, I think George Galloway got into the next compartment, and I thought, if he and I, he and I end up sitting at a table together, what the hell do I talk to him about? <laughs> and this is John Mustafa, when I asked him if he so involved with the local community, so desirous of putting something back. Um, and he had a very almost pejorative view of Bangladeshis, as you can see in Tower Hamlets. Doesn't have much to do with them. Um, doesn't feel that they are actually acting in the best interest of the community, but very much just selfish. I think that's quite an interesting perspective of, of a Bangladeshi looking at um, his own, if you like, expatriates. Right. Has anybody heard of the English border front? I hadn't until a few weeks ago. Um, it's, as it says, it's an offshoot of the BNP. Um, it actually attracts mainly young youths. Um, be they chavs or not, particularly near the football ground. Um, and it was believed that they set fire to the home of Polish immigrants in Halscott. 
which is a small um, suburb, I suppose, of Shrewsbury, actually where Tony Blair's father lives, but whether or not they thought it was his house, I'm not sure. Um, the reaction to the local community of the EBF setting fire to these immigrants' homes, again, it's a bit like Craven Arms. They all got together to help this family. Um, they redid the house, they gave them support, they took them in. So in a way, it was exactly the opposite to what the EBF would have wanted. Another example of community cohesion, they supported this family. Um, but you still hear the voices of, they're threatening our jobs. And one of the, the primary school headmasters said that you can hear the people murmuring that if these immigrants come in, they're going to take our jobs. Okay, those are three quotes. Um, I took it out of one of my books, um, and you can see that this antipathy, xenophobia, racism and indifference goes back to the 17th century, and the language differs very little. I actually got that quote about dropping a bomb out of the local paper when it was at the height of racism in Tower Hamlets. And doing a packy, have you all heard of that expression? No, no, well, it emerged in, Ben, have you heard, you've heard of it? Um, it first um, was actually used in 1969, and it was used um, in the East End of London, in Spitalfields, and to go out and do a packy was to beat one up. So the racism was so intense at that time, the reaction to the growing number of people of Bangladesh, and the community was just emerging. It hadn't developed as it is now, they were the first migrants, was to go out and beat up a Beng At that time, they were Pakistani. I, I assume you all know that Bangladesh wasn't created till 1971, so people from East Pakistan were Pakis. Okay. You do have one or two bad experiences. These are all the kind of quotes um, that relate to Shropshire. And in a way, it's a bit like my father-in-law and a lot of people of that generation. Keep your head below the parapet. Don't make waves. It'll be okay. We're in a minority. Just let it happen. In Tower Hamlets in the 1970s, as you can see, five Bengalis were killed as a result of racist attacks in 1976. Um, there was rampaging on the streets throughout the 70s and 80s. There was street violence, which continued right until the 1990s. And a Bangladeshi woman talking about community cohesion and support said she likes her own community, um, but if I were to drop dead, people will, from other communities will just walk over my dead body. So even now, there is this feeling of not quite belonging. Okay, my concluding thoughts, and I've, I mean, it's difficult because I'm only halfway, not even half, a quarter of a way through the research in Shropshire. Size matters. I think what I call visible concentration makes a difference. At this moment in time, there is no visible concentration of immigrants in Shropshire. And there might be the small community in Craven Arms, very small. Women keep indoors most of the time, so you don't see people walking around the streets in any form of dress which isn't Western. Um, there's no, you know, 
23 Bangladeshi <coughs> families in Shrewsbury, not a lot. On a Friday, if you drive round the United Reformed Church, you see the Muslim community and people from outside going to prayers. They rent a room in the United Reformed Church. Very low key, you probably wouldn't see it. And then they will go back to normal Western dress. It is not something you would see on the streets. But as Nelia Cope says, if the numbers increase, um, and as I said before, Shropshire is not a first point of settlement. The immigrants are there through choice. Um, I haven't done the research to see how many gang masters we've got working, but if we look at the people in the agricultural area, because I'm not sure about the factories, they wouldn't be gang masters. I know there are some gang masters who've been bringing people in to work in the potato fields. They're not there through choice, and they're very much undercover. I don't think I'll be able to get through to them. But the people I speak to out in the open are there through choice, um, and they want to become part of the community, because what's the alternative? Um, possibly keep to themselves, but I'm not sure. In fact, and if anybody working in the field of Chinese immigration, everybody said to me in Tower Hamlets, all over, I don't know if you've done any work, um, John Mustafa, Colin Holmes, whose work you may be familiar with from years ago, we've all said the one community you can't, I'm afraid if there's anyone here from China, explain why. We cannot talk to the Chinese immigrant community. They are not very forthcoming to researchers. It's the hardest community. And if you look up work that's been done, you'll find very little by comparison to everything else. And John Mustafa said to me, I've been to everybody, and everybody's great, but I can't get through to the Chinese. Um, I think my final point um, is basically that in Shropshire at the moment, there are no issues that haven't, if you like, the BMP have tried, the EBF have tried. They've not got anywhere because they've got nothing to work on. There's no material. If we go into the recession. Unemployment is beginning to bite up there. If people lose their jobs, if people feel that they're losing their jobs, the indigenous population, but the immigrants are still employed, then I'm not quite sure how it will turn. There aren't a lot of Eastern Europeans going back. People suggest there are, they're not. We haven't got the numbers because the economy isn't that much better and they're finding they like it over here. So I don't think there'll be a huge withdrawal from Telford and Meakin or Shropshire or Tower Hamlets. Um, and we've yet to see what happens, as I say. This is early days. So I may come back to you in a year and tell you. Okay.